Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Okay, okay. You got to really back up when you do that. It's it's, Bro, it's, it's really loud. Well, we got an editor. <laughs> well, we the live now that we're doing the live recordings, people it's just loud. It's just loud for people. I know. We can't we can't I edit know. that. But I mean that it, well, the 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 learn. They'll learn. <laughs> they'll learn they'll learn to lower the I, volume at, at this the very point. At this point, I I can't change who I am. <laughs> it's, this it's is all it. good. This and, is the uh, peak performance. And speaking of our live recording, I just want to plug that for the people listening right now. If you're listening to this episode right now, um, you're probably listening to it um, a few days after we've actually recorded. You could be listening to it in the moment that we're recording it um, with our live stream. Uh, we are streaming this live directly to YouTube, it's, and we're posting the link. It's popping. We actually oh, yeah. have uh, we actually have several concurrent viewers uh, in the channel right now, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and we're also posting the link to the actual recording studio for our uh, recording platform, which is Riverside, um, for people to join in, chat with us, talk with us. Um, we got Bubble in here. Um, thanks for playing, fan. Also in the Discord server, um, friend of the pod, friend, friend of, the of the pod. pod. That's that's the that's the term, yeah. friend of the pod. Um, so super exciting stuff happening there. I think this is our one of our maybe third or fourth live recording. Um, and slowly, it's, it's been slowly good. getting the hang of it. Hey, where can they find the uh, the link to check out the Riverside directly? So they can find the link to check us out, and we'll find all of our links really attached to our Instagram. So if you go to our Instagram account and go to thanks for playing pod at gmail.com, that's the Instagram, right? No. You just started saying the email. You know what you're doing. Um, Instagram, Twitter, TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcast with an S at the end. On there, you'll find our link tree. There it which is. Which links to all of our uh, interwebs stuff, including our Discord. And we have a fun Discord now. We're starting to get some, uh, see some lively action in there every yeah. once in a while. You know, um, shout out to Johnny Panic, always being the one to start the discourse there. Um it's a good time. It's a good yeah. time and excited for the future of what that can bring. And yeah. And if you have any questions for the pod, maybe suggestions, maybe you want to tell us how to run our discord. I don't know. Um, shoot us an email. Thanks for listening pod at gmail.com. And as always leave a review, you know, um, maybe tell me, um, I don't know what, um, what kind of cake I would be in an in a, in a Apple podcast review, what kind of sweet I would be and perhaps town cakes. Uh, Oh, <laughs> that's an easy one <laughs> <laughs> and uh perhaps tell us what kind of um 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 tea lucas would be i'm always fascinated to find that out earl gray no doubt no doubt no cat a, yeah uh, lucas, <laughs> what's good on man how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good um i'm excited for the recording for this one today um this is kind of a I played this game years ago i think when it first came out uh back in 2016 it kind of caught my eye on steam um, totally within my aesthetic wheel wheelhouse, I'd say. Um, so obviously it was a great like three weeks playing this game as we led up to this recording. Um, it was my second playthrough and uh, definitely had a good time kind of chilling back. I gave myself plenty of time. I actually explored quite a bit more on this playthrough uh, and it was just a lot of fun. Uh, it's been it's been great, you know, to the days are getting longer. Uh, so, uh, you know, now I don't feel, I'm not playing games for too long at night. I'm able to play video games in the evening, you know, because in the winter yeah. you're just basically playing games at like five or six starting nighttime. It's not very cool. It's nice too. Cause we can kind of like, you know, at least here in California, um, I can't speak for how daylights work in the rest of the country <laughs> or the world, but it's nice. You know, we get, um, can, can enjoy the day a little bit longer here now, you know, yeah. especially with the world opening up. I mean. And we had, we had our first like big group hangout in forever this week in Lucas. Uh, us and a bunch of our homies got brunch. That was Huge. great. Yeah, that was awesome. Mimosas, are you kidding me? Man, yeah. It was, that was dangerous. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. Uh, we and played, a, played some volleyball. Post, yeah, played some volleyball, played some spike ball in a, in a post-mask world, mind you, as far as California goes for the most part. Yeah, um, insane. Very weird. I went to Vaughn's. No masks. No mask in Vaughn's. That was weird. Went to the gym today. Um Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy. Yeah. There's no crazy, masks but, um, in a lot of my neighborhood as well. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. Weird feeling. I kind of feel uncomfortable almost, but I think we have to move back toward, towards it eventually. Either yeah. way, though, today, um, Lucas already kind of gave a little bit of a sneak peek 
today, and um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about today's game. That's right, everyone! Today, <laughs> we're talking about the number one 16-bit action lightsaber simulator, Hyperlight Drifter. That's right. That is right. We are talking about the 2016 2016 16-bit style indie game developed by Heart Machine and directed by Alex Preston, um, based out of Santa Monica. Uh, 9.5 out of 10 from Game Informer, 9 out of 10 on GameSpot, um, overall 88 out of 100 on Metacritic, and a 7.6 from IGN, yet another miss from, uh, another miss from, from IGN. IGN.com, unfortunately. Any time it's like not COD. They just give it a shitty Dude, score. I know. Okay, we we're just talking. I'm kind about of this. a little disappointed in IGN. It's like, okay. I, like if you want to pick up the podcast, by all means, pick us up, and we'll give your games better ratings. But like, come on, IGN. Like you gave before your eyes like a seven or something, right? And they gave this game like a, a seven as well. Then they give fucking Black Ops Three, goddamn, like nine point five yeah. or something, nine point three. Every single, every single unoriginal, uninspired, safe game gets like a nine or above. And then anything that's like trying to take a risk or do something really unique is is not getting great ratings. You know, I I actually um, we're we're in the gaming crit space, right? So we're developing a voice for ourselves in this community, and hopefully, some of you find our opinions on video games pretty valuable. But as a quick aside, with like the IGN thing, I really love the personalities at IGN. I really value yeah, the I, I value video game talk. I like the news. I like um, the the IGN. Uh, podcast hosts that I listen to and really respect tend to skew a little bit older. So they're from a little bit of the gaming generation that I'm from, you know, so they know a lot about games. It's really interesting to hear them talk, but like I'm listening to a episode of, you know, an IGM podcast and there's an ad for Final Fantasy seven. Uh, okay. I, if you're doing journalism, right. And you're doing serious crit, (laughs) it's very strange to have a straight up ad for another game. Like what kind of moral quandary does that create? I I don't know. I find it a little bit problematic. I mean, they're a business trying to make money. Uh, I know, but like, uh, okay. When you have a journalistic like entity, you have a magazine or you have like a newspaper, you try, or at least you, the, the idea is that you don't accept ad money or donations from entities that can influence the type of journalism that okay, you do. Yeah, so if, if again, this is a super quick aside, we're supposed to be talking about Hyperlight Drifter, but if you are doing video game journalism or video game critique, and you also have to do an ad for that video game, what does that say about the honesty that you can give to that game? I find it to be a little bit problematic. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, this be- might be a, a great thing to continue to explore in, in Anything's Possible. That's a great Anything's Possible topic. Yeah. Um, sort of the, um, I feel like video game journalism is kind of becoming like, it's sort of getting a pass on that kind of stuff in a certain way. I think that IGN, uh, I mean, IGN gets a lot of shit. Um, let's be honest. They do really get a lot of crap from a lot of people. Um, a lot of independent reviewers on like, say, YouTube that are kind of just one person. They actually are very generally pretty critical of, of the bigger guys like that um, because of that advertising and money making yeah. cycle that they have to go through. Um, so I know I think they're becoming less and less of a prominent uh, voice in the game crit space. But I just want to point out, you know, watchdog them a little bit. Let them know that we're here. We are here. We are here. Thanks for playing us here. And if you want to buy us out, uh, okay. we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, buy us out. Uh, man. Um, Lucas, I would like is t- today's game. It's it's pretty abstract, right? It's not very straightforward as far as the story, what your overarching objective is. Even it's kind of just a game you experience. It's something that you play and piece together as as best as you can while you're going through it. So. Before we really dive into anything else about the game, the gameplay, even like the developer, I, I would like you to give a give us a brief um, little synopsis, little explanation of what what exactly is Hyperlight Drifter. Yes, yes, yes. I'm doing the synopsis this week instead of Matt because uh, 
Honestly, this was kind of a hard one. I'm staying high. I, uh, I'm staying I high. Lucas. <laughs> I, I did. I didn't really know what to put. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm staying high level on this one, everybody. So, Hyperlight Drifter. Um, you play in this game as the Drifter, a silent sword wielding protagonist, protagonist seeking ancient relics in a futuristic post-apocalyptic world. The post-apocalyptic world in Hyperlight Drifter is a little different from your typical one. Um, it's sort of like, a, a lot of civilization was wiped out from Titans that emerged. <laughs> okay. So much of the story has to be explained <laughs> through like extra kind of things that you find online. Yeah. So, yeah. um, basically the, I'll just go back to reading what I wrote here. Actually, the game has four main areas, which you traverse to unlock modules, collect currency, fight mobs, bosses, and explore big set pieces, which explain a lot of the backstory of the world. The story of the game is conveyed to you entirely through one prophetic visions that the drifter has of the destruction of the world by these giant robotic Titans and two, the visions of his own demise at the hand of a ghost-like being. Um, the game is also told to you, obviously, through the world itself. Um, while you're exploring the world, you'll find things like underground secret laboratories, places where they experimented and created robots, possibly um, labs underneath like lakes. Um, you'll find different types of um, tribes existing in different areas of the map that all have sort of their own little niches and and um, I'd say things in mind when it comes to uh, how they'd survive in that world. Uh, as you progress through the game, you buy upgrades, get armor, uh, get stronger, learn about the world, and eventually fight the final boss at the very center of the map underneath the town where you get all your upgrades and, and meet some of the, the nice NPCs. After the final boss is defeated, the Drifter takes refuge uh, as the world is kind of renewed in a fire, like a, there's a big destructive sequence and the world is renewed. The void energy releases and you shine anew in the Drifter's... You The world shines anew as the Drifter's heart bleeds out and then fade away that is uh, sort of the game as i understood it uh i know i talked mostly about the pure gameplay loop of it because the story is very very non-verbal <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's a yeah it's a light way to put it yeah um <laughs> it's it's all over the place yeah it's i i think it's um it's definitely a style i think that games have started to do um, I think in, in the realm of, you know, more traditional art mediums, like, um, you know, we always talk about movies, TV books and stuff like that. I think that plot and story is actually the key central component to some of those art mediums. When it's come to video games, I think a lot of developers have realized that the core thing about your game is going to play the gameplay loop and the actual interactions and inputs and outputs for the system, Right. And the story actually is secondary. So a lot of these developers, say like Dark Souls, Hollow Knight, um, Hyperlight Drifter, they're starting to gear towards more of a set piece that explains the world, the world telling you the story while as you go through it, rather than just like a main central story that you follow, if that makes sense. Yeah, like not not hand fed to you, like spoon fed linearly in a linear sense, mm -hmm. but like you, it gives you a very basic overview. And then it says, have fun. Exactly. In, right. Exactly. It's not like you're reading a book page for page. It's like you're, I don't know, like, I'm not sure your analogy, but just like skipping through random YouTube videos, just like piecing things together. Right. It's like not told in a straightforward fashion. It's, um, it's kind of like, <laughs> dang, just things got real deep real quick. Um, yeah. Uh, what were some of your initial thoughts on it, Matt? <laughs> Bro, this game is hard. <laughs> Um, so a little little fun fact. Um, this this game was actually supposed to be, or this episode rather, was supposed to come out the week that we released um, Dear Esther. So I believe that would have been a month ago, two episodes ago, if I'm remembering correctly, two full game episodes ago. Um, the reason being is uh, I was a little, I didn't, it wasn't like super cruncher time. Like I had three or four days to like, work on this game and beat it but um i was i was going through the first area of the game and just kind of dying and struggling a lot and i text luke as i'm like bro i gotta go <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't i don't know if um i could honestly beat this game in time given you know our other adult responsibilities that i have to take care of i'm like i don't i don't, I don't think this is happening king um it is a very very difficult game and a very 
hard game to understand as well. I remember even just when like I first picked it up for the initial time on my switch, I, I like restarted the game two or three times in a row just because I wanted to rewatch the opening cinematic and like, just like try and get as much as I could from it. Cause I watched it the first it time. It is very cryptic. And I was like, wait, yeah, huh? it's very like, and what's happening in this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I watched it a second time and I was still just like, huh? And then I watched it the third time. I'm like, well, I think I've gotten all I'm going to get from yeah, this yeah. point. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's so the whole game is so cryptic and just like really, um, kind of sets up the mystery. And that said though, like, as Lucas and I have mentioned already, the game's not told in a very like linear sense, right? It's kind of left for you to piece together and explore this world and discover the lore of it. Um, and in a very interesting way too, because you know, it's not like say Outer Worlds or a Fallout game or Skyrim or Cyberpunk where you'll find um, little bits and pieces of lore written in the game or like you'll hear um, a radio or you'll find like a journal right. or something that explains a little piece of the world. Whereas in this game, you know, there's no... Um, there's no written, there's no um, writing in the game. There's no yeah. writing. There's no spoken dialogue. Um, everything is just conveyed through sounds, image um, and, and music yeah. and image and imagery. Yeah. So it's, it's very much just you left to piece everything together and kind of just figure out what's going on in this very bizarre, but fascinating. Like it makes you want to, dive into it and play it. Um, but just this very bizarre world and really just incredible by, um, uh, Alex Preston, the game director. I don't know if we want to get into this now or later, but I mean, um, for context, everyone, I mean, as we mentioned, the, your head guy or your main guy, um, the character you play as the dessert, the, the drifter, yeah. the drifter, um, is very clearly suffering from some sort of heart disease. And, um, as you know, any self-preserving creature would, they're like searching for a cure. And uh, Alex Preston, the game director and creator, and you know, conceptualized Hyperlight Drifter, um, has a congenital heart disease themselves. And this is kind of their way of taking inspiration from their life and then balling it up and putting it into this really unique and really special art form totally. that is this video game Hyperlight Drifter. And it's such a unique thing. And um, you know, I, I think we always see really interesting inspirations in games. Like, I think, you know, like Outer Wilds is a perfect example of what a phenomenal game that became. Um, but I think very rare is it to find a game that has such literally and metaphorically such, you know, like a hit close to heart yeah, inspiration yeah, true. Um, where, you know, his the heart disease that he suffered with his whole life is influencing this game. And that's just remarkable. And then the integrated into it is yeah. incredible the way he integrates it. And it's incredible for an interactive piece of art. Like yeah, this to exist. I agree. Um, yeah. It's, it's the artistic achievement of like Matt said, the creator, Alex Preston, um, Alex takes dozens of pills a day for his heart disease and, and goes to the doctor like all the time, basically. Um, he's nearly died several times. Um, he kind of has, to, he understands that his life is sort of teetering on the edge on a regular basis. Uh, there's actually a really great Vice documentary out there. You could watch it on YouTube. It's about a 10 minute watch on um, the team wrapping up Hyperlight Drifter and publishing it. Um, it's also a little bit of a profile on Alex Preston himself, um, covers his health struggles, even interviews his doctor, um, which is very interesting. Um, all of Alex's thoughts about um, death really translate super well, um, I think, into this game. Because one, there is quite a bit of dying and restarting in the game because it's very it is a hard game. Um, but also the visions of death that are constantly affecting the drifter and the drifter constantly coughing up blood throughout the game, for instance. And it's kind of one of those things where you play the game and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool, or this this is interesting that the drifter's suffering from something or like his he's coughing up blood. And then when you learn uh, the inspiration came from the actual director himself going through all this stuff, you go, oh, okay, I, 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 that's that's pretty cool. Or not cool, but that's interesting that that's where, the, that's where it's coming from. There's very clear inspiration coming. Um, but outside of knowing that and understanding that about the game, the game is super awesome. Uh, I, I love the style, the tone, um, the color is amazing. The overall game feel in regards to like control and response, uh, the game just feels good to play. Um, a game feeling yeah. good to play is 
is is more rare than we think. Uh, like it's more rare than we actually really think when you think about a game like movement, dashing, jumping, hitting, like dodging. Most of that stuff in video games is yeah. is actually hard to do. Like imagine a game like like any third person action adventure game. Like I think a great example of this would be like any of the Assassin's Creeds you may have played may have played growing up. Like those are I want to be clear. I enjoy those games very much. At least the older ones for me personally. Um, and I think they're really fun games, but you can just tell, like, it doesn't feel as smooth. It doesn't feel as responsive, you know, when you go to jump up something or you even just move to dash in one way, you know, there's like that little bit, I don't know whether it's by design or not, like a little bit of a latency delay type thing where, um, it just doesn't feel good. The movement per se. Um, whereas, yeah. you know, in a game like this, cyberpunk. like cyber, uh, cyberpunk, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking the movement in cyberpunk it's awful. The movement in most third person games is awful. Yeah. Like the it, movement is not typically something that people are prioritizing in games these days. Yeah. And to be able to make it feel smooth is really important. I think, uh, <laughs> kind of a funny thing just cause of like the, 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 the way the camera is in the game, like the top down nature and kind of like the basic controls of like, you have a, a gun you shoot, which, and then you have a dash and you have a sword. I was really at first trying to play it like uh, Hades. Yeah. And I think that's why like my first two hours of the game was just like terrible. So I was just totally. getting so fucked up. Like it's, it, you have to kind of play it slower, right? You can't just like in Hades, just kind of run and, you know, run and gun is like dash gun. and you have yeah. like these crazy power ups that protect you. Whereas if you try and do that and, um, Hyperlight, you're going to get fucked up very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like that about it. Um, I actually have here, you know, the last game we played like that, like this is Hades. It's probably the closest game to this genre. Um, you're not on the same level. Like in Hades, you're actually a little overpowered. It's it's an attrition thing in Hades where you're just trying to survive and keep going as long as you can. In Hyperlight, every, every hard room is a little bit of a puzzle where you're like, okay, I got to shoot that guy. I got to kill this guy. Then I got to dash over here. And over time, you eventually develop like a more patient play style yeah. with the game, which I think is really interesting. You start becoming a little more methodical. Um, it's it's really cool. <laughs> I mean, what's great it's, it's, too a, is there's no, it's a different style. And there's no room that you enter or no like boss battle or any part of the game. No matter what stage you are, it's at least a little bit challenging every time, right? It's mm-hmm. not like there's no like freebies in this game. It's which leads yeah. to a very rewarding and satisfying gameplay loop, right? Exactly. Like when, I, when I beat my first boss, I was like, huh, "Fuck yeah!" Like I was so yeah, gassed, yeah. right? Yeah. Even with no, even like with upgrades that come through and pl- being able to play some areas out of order, you still find challenge in the other areas. So there's no like going to this easy area first. Like the easy area is still hard. Yeah. Um, and even like when you get upgrades, the easy area can still kill you pretty easily because you have to still use a lot of skill to develop the skill to even use those upgrades. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the upgrade is like. Um, one of the upgrades, for instance, is like a chain dash that you can get. It's one of the better upgrades in the game. But the chain dash still has to be timed out as you use it. You don't just get like, you don't get to get just to spam your and dash That's what button. I thought first. Yeah. I was like, oh, I have to yeah. like methodically, not methodically, but like time this, right? It's like a, yeah. like a, like a melee side short or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's interesting because in Hades, you know, when you get like multi, multi dash, you can just dash everywhere and you kind of are immune and it's cool. Uh, in this game, you actually have to earn your chain dashes uh, by timing it correctly. I think that's so interesting. Everything takes just a little bit of work, a little bit of challenge when you're fighting, which I think is really awesome. Um, I think the art style is really great. Uh, you have that homage to the 16-bit style. I think it's done very well. I'm going to go into that a little bit when we touch on art style. Um, and I love the decision to have no dialogue or writing in the game. So um, like Matt said earlier, nothing in the game. There's no diegetic writing or content or dialogue in the game, meaning there is text in the game, but it's text that tells you like how to do something. <laughs> the text is like push A to dash. The text might say like push X to swing your sword. So it's very, it's very the bare basic. minimum to explain yeah. this is how you play my game. Yeah. Exactly. But the game story itself is not told in any sort of way to you. No. Um, it's conveyed to you through sound, through music, through mute, through mood. I mean, even imagery. like the like going into a store, right? Like you have to kind of figure out there's nothing that tells you this is the in-game currency, right? 
Um, yeah. You kind of just discover after looking at a store and seeing like, okay, like the, you want this little yellow pixel thing. Okay. And then you're running out and you're exploring these ruins and like, oh, I found the yellow pixels. I guess I can buy something now. And yeah. You find out exactly. you need hella yellow pixels and it's a mess. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And um, I mean, the upgrades are fun, right? The Like when you grab all the, when you get those yellow pixels and then you get the currency, you upgrade and it's always like a satisfying upgrade, you know? And um, I think it keeps the game moving, keeps everything interesting. And in total, the game is about a nine to 10 hour journey. I think it's a perfect size um, for, you know, playing like you could play it over a weekend and it's a really great weekend yeah, play exactly. for sure. I played over the course of about a week and a half and um, I probably sat down like four or five times and played it very slowly. Um, and I enjoyed so much of it, this playthrough. I played it on Xbox for those of you that are wondering. I think it's about 20 bucks um, on Xbox right now, yeah. but Switch is probably the more supreme version to play it on, I'm willing to bet. I really enjoyed it. It's just a perfect game to just kick back on your couch and chill and play, yeah. Um, yeah. Did it, was there any part it wasn't clicking for you or did it, was it pretty much from the get-go for you? Because you had, you had played this I had played it before. So was this experience different for you in that regard? Or when you yeah, played it in 2016, did it have like more of a a slower period to really get into it? Yeah, I'd say that it clicked for me pretty much instantly. I think it's because of the the what it's kind of going for here, where it's that 16-bit style. Actually, the biggest influences of this game, Alex Preston says, are um, Link to the Past and Diablo. Um, big Super Nintendo fan myself, and big Link to the Past Link to the Past fan. Um, I think I got it right away. And I think it's funny. I, I would say it's more in line with like Secret of Mana, Secret of Evermore. For those of you that have played those SNES games, it's that top down feel. Um, but taken to like, you know, what what would that game feel like? Well, how would you play that game in 2016? Um, and I think it nails it pretty well. So I didn't really have any trouble getting it to click for me. What about you? Did you did you have a rough time getting to click with it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what no, about I mean, like I mentioned already, I mean, I wanted to play the game like Hades or like, I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm honestly like, as far as like my gaming taste, I'm really simple to please that. Like, just give me some fast, fun gameplay and I'm, I'm going to have a great time. So this was, um, I had to really adjust my style and expectations with the rest of the game as well to really enjoy it. But, you know, it's interesting. I was telling Lucas that I really didn't think I was going to like this game that much, especially after my first like couple hours in it. But as I kept playing it and as I kept going through it and kind of learning, okay, this is a game where you need to be more patient and can't be gung-ho and just going for it. And once I started to kind of accept that and then tamper my play style and um, engage in the world and really like appreciate what was going on in the art surrounding me and the set pieces and things, it became like a totally different experience, right? And more than that too, just like gameplay aside, I mean, I think so far in this podcast, I think for the most part, the games I've really liked have been relatively newer games and the games I haven't liked as much have been older games, point in case Metroid Jet Set Radio. Um, and while this uh, game was made in, you know, to be clear in 2016, um, it's definitely a game that could have been made from a technical standpoint. I'm, I'm talking um, probably could have been made in early 2000s. No problem. or Maybe even earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I was very surprised to find myself in really enjoying um, that style of game that much. So it was, it was a pleasant surprise. That's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, uh, God, man, you, you gave me the super Metroid flashbacks. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I, I think this is a good blend for you in particular, Matt, where it's, it's totally like a, it's a new, it's what an old game would feel like. Now. It's, not, it's not an old game. Right. But it is like what it, what an old game can really be inspired off of. Yeah. Um, which yeah, like it's definitely like for, it's probably that perfect, like middle ground where for me, it's like, oh, hell yeah, this is, this is like a super Nintendo game. And you're like, hell yeah, this is like a super Nintendo game, but it's not. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, So, so I think it totally right. hit, I think it hit things just right. Um, for both of us here. Um, so, I mean, I will say that for me, even on this playthrough, um, about it clicking, it did take me a little bit to adjust to that play style. Um, I was really used to Hades and the ability to just kind of run and gun. And about a quarter of the way through, probably nearing the end of the first area was when I was like, okay, I think I got it again. Yeah. I think I, uh, I, I think I can ride the bike again for sure. Um, on game design specifically, um, how are we feeling about the gameplay loop? Extremely satisfying. Yeah. Um, once you, 
once you get through the, those first couple hours, if you're like me, where you're just like struggling and not playing it incorrectly, but not playing it in the most optimal play style, once you get into the flow of things and like the, you know, the shoot, shoot, shoot your gun a couple times, dash, uh, swing your sword a couple times, dash away, wait for their attack, dash back in, hit, hit. It's a very, you, you feel smart, you know? And yeah. <laughs> the, the, the satisfaction of recognizing the patterns in these enemies and then adapting to it. Um, and it, 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 it just feels good when you get a kill, right? And that that's totally. true for both like on the smaller level scale, you know, with just like the, um, not bosses, but I guess just minions for lack of a better term the um, normal NPCs you'll face. And then same thing for the bosses as well. Like most of the, I mean, I don't know how much trouble you had, Lucas, but most of them, for me, the bosses took a few tries, at least three or four, maybe even five in some cases. Um, and that was just me every time I was learning a little bit more, you know, a little bit closer, getting that pattern recognition. Systems learning, you know, a shout out to mm, what's his face. Systems literacy, literacy Jonathan yeah. Blow. Um, and that gameplay loop is just incredibly satisfying. And, um, we don't, I feel like a lot of games lately don't really hit that as well. Um, at least a lot of like, I shouldn't say a lot of games lately, but like probably some of the bigger AAA titles that we might think of say something like, um, like a call of duty game or like a, uh, to give a single pair example, like outer wilds, um, not outer wilds, but outer worlds, excuse me. Um, any like fallout game. Um, a lot of them don't really like have as much of that pattern recognition you know right or mm -hmm. um so it's very satisfying to have a game like that where it really rewards you paying attention to the little things like that and not just blindly running in and, and praying for the best that that's that that's that old school game design style that's really yeah. fun yeah. uh where everybody has a very predictable attack um and the only thing that changes is the fact that there's now five guys with the same predictable attack so how do you fight those right so it's uh there's no surprises keeps you honest um so it's it's really great in that regard. Um, I I have here, you know, I, I love basically everything you said. Um, I totally am on board with. I also love the idea of exploration in the game. There's actually quite a bit of it. There's tons of secret rooms. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how much you got, but there's secret rooms. There's locked doors. There's tons of keys. Um, there's ancient stone tablets you can activate and unlock more of the story. Um, and I don't know. I love the idea of getting rewarded for exploring. I think we've talked about that on this pod quite a bit. Something like Breath of the Wild, Super Metroid. Basically, every Metroidvania follows that that sort of uh, philosophy where you just keep kind of looking around into nooks and crannies and you can kind of find something, um, you know, an upgrade or another boss or, yeah. you know, the path or a shortcut or something. And I really do like um, that, that gameplay uh, design style. Uh, the other thing I have here, too, is, you know, I love that most of the rooms were challenging without really being unfair. Um, again, like every enemy projects their attacks. They all attack the same way once you see what their attack style is. So it's just a matter of kind of keeping track of like Who sometimes some. Yeah. yeah. And some rooms like 30 enemies on screen at the some same time. Some of them time. are fucking hard. Some of you are like, OK, I got. Did you get the bomb upgrade? Did you ever get the kick bomb thing? Like the grenade? Yeah, yeah, the grenade. Uh, towards the very end, I got it, yeah. Uh, okay, the grenade, I, that carried me through a lot of hard rooms, for sure. Because <laughs> um, I would, like, start by throwing the grenade, and then you'd have to kind of wait for it to, like, cool, like the cooldown to go come back. And um, there was there was just, like, a lot of things that you had to take advantage of sometimes uh, in order to get through a room, which I found very fun. And the thing, this is, uh, I was just talking about this with, um, with Orion, uh, my brother-in-law, Tim. We were just talking about this yesterday, Father's Day. Um, the thing about, uh, games I like, the thing that I really like in games is something that Hyper Light Drifter does really well. Um, there's no save points and when you die, you restart at the room that you died in. You just get another shot at that room. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like that philosophy. I think that games used to do this thing where you'd get to a save point and it was actually well before the boss that the save point would be there. Um, some early RPG dungeons, you know, you'd save in the overworld, go into the dungeon, have to go all the way through the dungeon, then fight a boss. Um, and we don't like that. We just, we, we just don't like that. It's pretty I shitty. Think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, some games are, 
um, it, 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 they do that. They put the save point far away from the boss in order to make it very satisfying or make it make the death feel even worse. And I get that. But, you know, we're Hyperlight Drifter isn't here to make you feel like dying feels so bad all the time. It's just being more like fair in, in regard. Yeah. Like, OK, <laughs> so a version of that right in Kingdom Hearts in the original Kingdom Hearts, not the version that I played. But in the original Kingdom Hearts, you, there was unskippable cutscenes. Yeah. So if you, game. yeah. So if you wanted to fight, oh my God, what's what's Sephiroth. your idiot friend's name? No, oh, Riku. Um, Riku. The Riku fight took me like thirty tries, right? <laughs> like not even capping. It took me thirty tries. So if I had to watch a cutscene every single fight, I probably would have thrown my controller out of the window every single death. But instead, it was just like I die, and I'm like, okay, let's go again. Okay, let's go again. Let's go yeah, again. I, uh, and I had a I had a ROM of that game, so I had to. I that's the equivalent. Yeah. That's the equivalent of like this version in like an unintended way. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is really, which I think is super interesting. Um, and there's a generous amount of teleportation and fast travel in Hyperlight, which is really great. Um, you kind of can get everywhere they need to go pretty quickly. The challenge is not in the minutia of having to get from point A to point B or have to fight your way perfectly through an area, then fight a boss. The challenge in Hyperlight Drifter is distilled down to beat this room. The room's hard enough already. Just beat it. Yeah. Um, the boss, fight the boss. The boss is hard enough already, right? Um, I like that. There's like no that. no bullshit or tricks. It's very, it's honest. It's an honest game. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think totally. that's a good way to, to describe it, yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the uh, the art, the art style? Love the art. Um, again, I, I okay, besides the 16-bit stuff, I think it makes some decisions that are really, really good. Um, it's kind of minimalist in a way, right? Like the menu screens are very like, it's just lines and grids and stuff like that. And even the map itself is drawn in a way that gives you enough information, but not too much. You know, like it'll tell you what room you're in, but it won't tell you like where the hidden wall is in that room. Yeah. I think that's interesting um, because sometimes in games you can kind of cheat your way to the hidden room or the path you have to go down by like scrutinizing the map so much. But in Hyperlight, I didn't find myself looking at the map too much because it simply told me I was in this room and the room was like just a rectangle. And then the next room was like another rectangle. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think it uses color very, very well to distinguish between what's there, what's an enemy, what's moving at you, what's going to attack you. Um, It's just very vibrant in that regard. And, you know, like even the town that you're in is like, it's the only color in that game with like that greenish, nice, lush. That feels safe. um, It feels safe, right? And then like some of the, like the hidden underground level to the south, the last area that you're in is like very purple and very like saturated and kind of scary. Um, the music, basically the music helps sell all of this. Yeah. Um, but I think that the decisions of all the colors that are used in each area are one, unique to that area to distinguish it, but also makes sense and have a very direct mood altering effect on that particular area, when you're in that area. Yeah, each area is so unique and has its own different flair and kind of brings out different emotions based off kind of what you discover while you're there, what secret rooms you uncover, what, um, you know, when you meet, when you meet whatever remnant, um, whether it was like the, I think one has like, like the, fr- not frogs, but every, every ruin area it had like ninja frogs, different population that was like attacked and destroyed by whatever the, um, boss and their minions are. And it, it all just blends together so well. And I, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the map. I actually didn't love the map at first. I think this just comes from me being more of a, not even a newer game, but like I didn't really play any of like the super, like for context, my first video games were like Jack and Daxter on the PS2, right? Or like Pokemon Crystal. So like I, I'm used to having very straightforward maps, I guess. Like yeah. fucking Metroid, I hated that shit. Super Metroid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or is that what we played at Super Metroid? Um, yeah. So I was a little janked out by the map at first. <laughs> janked but... out. That's a really great word for it. <laughs> but um, I could see get, that. You get I, the hang of it. I, I, I totally see that. I mean, the map is like a little jarring when you first play it, where you're like, what the, where am I? There's no like, clear <laughs> pathways. It's just like, you know, you need, 
you know, north is the, like, very general direction you need to go or, like, south relatively, you know? Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I think it just depends on what you're into, what you're not. It grew on me kind of because I just kind of got the hang of it and got into the mode of exploration. Yeah. But there were definitely some parts where I'd, like, quickly YouTube something like, where the fuck's this last module I need, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I get that. It is, it the, is tough. The one thing that bug me in games where I think, and you'll disagree with me here, Super Metroid is really guilty of this, in my opinion, too, but, like, where there's a secret room, but based off the way you've been playing that game and your knowledge, you have no reason to believe there should or would be a secret room. I had a couple experience. Well, I got had that like once in this game where I got caught off guard by that. And I was just like, oh, of course I fucking miss it. And I have to backtrack all this way. Yeah. Those little things kind of irk me. Um, and I, I don't really think I have a good answer of like how you present that better, to be honest. I just think I personally as a gamer don't like it. Because mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if, if you, present that there might be a secret room then it's like oh there might be a secret room yeah there's a hard line there's a there's a there's a tough line to ride there i'm not sure there's like a good middle ground for it honestly i think it's just either like that or you don't i personally don't like it that much i think you probably do um but i mean overall the art was great and something i found really compelling too i don't know if this is the right even category to put it under but um when you would kill your enemies and before like they would reset and respawn, which I think you could go like a few rooms and then backtrack before like enemies would respawn in said room. Um, the dead bodies would stay after you. Um, That's cool. Enemies. I, I, found I did that very, notice that. Yeah. I found that very interesting and just very compelling for, I don't really know how else to describe it. I was just, it, it, it was really emphasizing like this world kind of sucks for everyone actually right (laughs) um like obviously these are the you know transgressors and these are like the bad guys but like death is everywhere there's like no escaping is kind of the vibe i got and another little thing i noticed too was um the i don't know what they're called they're they're like the one mini that showed up in every zone i think like these little blue guys I think they were in almost every zone um that like not shot but just kind of like ran at you like little gremlins yeah yeah um they usually came at you in mobs, and if you killed all but one of them, then, like, the last one, you could just see it. I don't know if it was supposed to be sweat or tears, but you could see, like, water start flying off of it, and it would just start, like, running around. And um, if you just left it be, it, it, like, wouldn't fuck with you anymore. Like, it would just do its own thing and just, like, go off, right? You um, kill this whole tribe. Yeah, and <laughs> I just found that, like, kind of, like, a dark humor. Like, I just imagine, like, all these little, like, fuckers just running at me. Like, get them, boys! Yeah, yeah. And then... <laughs> and then and, the last one being like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, oh, no, I got to get like, out of oh, here. God, oh, I got to go. <laughs> um, it's pretty so gotta, dark. It, it's pretty, it is pretty dark, but I got a kick out of that. Um, especially because, like, again, the game doesn't like, it's not even like a moral thing. It's not like, you know, if you're playing like a game like Outer, um, Outer Worlds or even Cyberpunk where there's maybe certain moral decisions that affect the story. Like, oh, do you spare this person or not? It's just like a little thing that's thrown in there that kind of like lets you choose uh, what kind of drifter you want to be in. It doesn't have any like consequence on the game. That's okay sometimes, I think, you know. And it can not go unnoticed. everything has to totally impact the narrative. Yeah, and it can go unnoticed. Like, yeah. it, it went unnoticed for me. I just killed everything, um, yeah. which uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Uh, sort of some Undertale vibes there. Um, uh, all right, moving on to, uh, sound design, um, man, I think that we could both agree on the kick-assness of this sound design. Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, so funny enough, the, the, the way I discovered about this game and the way we decided to even put it on the pod was I was listening to just like a random, um, Spotify radio where you play a song that just makes a radio based off that music. Uh, funny enough, by the infamous, notoriously good, devilishly good-looking Vincent Moon. Uh, I remember this very well. I was listening to their song, uh, 1955, I think it is. And then it just went into radio mode and a couple songs played. And then Wait, that was radio for Vincent Moon? Yeah, it came up ah. under Vincent Moon. I remember that very specifically because it was right when I started like listening to his stuff. Dang. Um, and the song that came up was uh, Vign- Vignette. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Vign- Vignette, Vignette. Pena- Panacea. Oh, I don't know the second word, but Vignette. Yeah. You're getting Vignette, that one, right? Yeah, Vignette Panacea um, by Disasterpiece. They're the one that composed the whole game. Um, and it's just incredible. It's just beautiful. It's up there with like 
Undertale as far as like good video game, great video game music and different from Undertale because Undertale obviously has that very like, you know, 16 or 8-bit feel, whereas mm. this doesn't necessarily have that sound. This sounds like very composed, clearly very beautiful. Yeah. Um, very, very, um, melodic, very, very moody. Um, moody and really just sets the tone of the world very well. I remember I text Lucas after I heard the songs. I was like, the song is really good. And I saw the cover art to the album. I'm like, this looks like a video game. So I just looked up like disaster piece in the song name and stuff. And I, you know, found my way to Hyperlight. And I'm like, bro, we got to play this game for the pod. And he's like, bro, I already have. <laughs> like, I was oh, like, I'm fuck. super down so to play it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I like immediately rechecked out the music again and like kind of entered that world after you had sent me that. And I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I forgot how sick the soundtrack is. Um, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it's all composed by uh, a composer who goes by the name Disaster Piece, uh, real name Richard Vreeland. Um, actually has a really great talk on the choices and decisions made in the um, composing of the music for this game um, at the independent uh, game design uh, festival. So um, probably put a link in that in the discord. Um, it's a great like 45 minute hour long talk on, you know, how you create mood and why you make certain decisions for for your video games. So really cool there. Um, Disaster piece has a pretty kick ass resume. Um, it follows one of the my favorite horror movies uh really really solid there so and i think everybody that's seen that movie matt i know you haven't seen it but yeah the music is a huge huge element of that film and uh, i think anybody that's seen it will remember some of those uh those songs uh under the silver lake one of a more a more popular kind of indie small film that came out pretty recently um crazy because i live in silver lake i don't know if we've talked about that um no now you're gonna get hordes of Fangirls showing up. <laughs> um, he's done work on Adventure Time um, and just dozens of indie games out there. Um, I think it's literally just disasterpiece.com. Um, check him out. Oh, he did Fez too. Fez is really popular right now. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a really solid resume there. I think that the, the game is actually pretty well known for its music, um, which is really cool. I think it's kind of developed a reputation for that. And it really does carry the mood of the game a lot. And I think it fits perfectly with kind of the post-apocalyptic, futuristic, um, dystopia type feel. Um, the music is like kind of, I would describe it as like noise post-electro, you know, it's kind of like cinematic and moody and yeah. dark while while being like electronic music. It's just really, really sick. Yeah. I don't know how to describe music because I asked Lucas, I'm like, is this lo-fi? It's definitely not lo-fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not lo-fi music because, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not. Although it's funny because Vincent Moon is lo-fi. Yeah. And, and it, that's why I think that's why I thought that it got recommended in that, which was pretty odd. But It is very interesting. Um, yeah. All right. Um, what do we got next? We got the NPC award next. Oh, I yeah. love the NPC award. I, I don't know. Okay, I'll go first because I don't think you're going to know mine. Uh, it's kind of an obscure one. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go with the person you play soccer with. Did you just get to the soccer field little part of the map? I didn't even get that. I'm, yeah. I'm okay. upset I missed I, that. No, no, it's, it's all good. So there is a part of the map in the southern part of the town. Um, you have to kind of go through a couple hallways to find it. But there's a soccer field. Um, and, uh, I looked online for the name of this, uh, opponent, but it's just, he's just known as the soccer opponent. Basically there's a soccer field mini game in the play or in, in the game. Uh, you play against someone, this just NPC. And if you win, you get a gear bit. Uh, so you get some currency. And, um, I actually, when I got there, I was just like, oh, okay, I'll try this out for a second. And I was just like, I lost. And then I was like, hold up. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I'm gonna beat this guy <laughs> and like I, I I it was one of the more in, like intense parts of the game for me was trying to beat that mini game and it was just one of those examples where like the mini game just took over your brain while like you just avoided the main story because the, ma the main game or the mini game yeah. was just so like challenging and like uh, one of the comments on the hyperlight drifter wiki the top comment just says the true final boss 
because he's actually really he's actually really hard um so yeah, i'm giving him that's so sick and i'm looking at it right now i didn't even know that was a thing yeah i'm giving the npc award to uh, the soccer opponent for sure that's dope i love that all right what you got um mine i had um the little blue guys that ran around and that if you killed them they sweated sweat and cried that's good <laughs> they sweat and um, cried. i um i just thought they had the most human characteristics of any of the npcs that we encountered because, I mean, even the NPCs that, like, will tell you the sad stories of how their, you know, race and population was decimated by whatever the invaders in that area are. Uh, you don't really get, like, any actual proper interaction with them. But those little blue guys were, like, the most consistent interaction I had with any of the NPCs in the game. Um, and definitely, I mean, I can't imagine, like, anything more human than, like, you're with your friends or your your tribe and you're you know you're gonna go defend your area or like continue fucking other people up and then you get fucked up and you're just like oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that was mine that's good all right uh companion piece pick this is uh love this category i got a good one it's a fun one yeah uh you want to go first i'll go first yeah um so mine was the 2019 film robert eggers oh you know, you know, I'm the lighthouse. The lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good companion piece pick. Oh, I love yeah, that. So. Yeah. Oh. Um. So for anyone that hasn't seen the lighthouse, it's a very, um, it, it's shot. It's a movie shot in a very old style. Lucas, you can tell the technical. Stuff Just a you know it, like black but, and um, white square, like black and white, like you know, older aspect ratio, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like if you see, like, I remember I went and saw it in theaters and it didn't fill up the whole like screen. I was like, they what? fucked up. <laughs> they fucked up. I was like, Hey, hey operator. <laughs> fix it. <laughs> um, and super just unique movie kind of feels like it exists outside of its time in a similar way that in a, in a way this game kind of does as well where it just feels kind of older um, and very confusing movie as well. Um, very um, kind of leaves a lot open to interpretation. Like a lot of this game does um, it kind of, well, it has a much more clear linear story, obviously than Hyperlight does. The ending is very kind of just like what, you know, um, leads, leads a lot of open interpretation and like a lot of this game does. And I don't, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and just yeah, very confusing. Like I wasn't hyperlight, so that that was my uh. <laughs> That's good. Again, shout out, shout out, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson because they were extremely fun to watch in that film. Yeah, together. yeah. And uh, podcaster Sam is our podcaster producer. Sam is uh is happy that you made that companion piece pick. Companion piece pick. It's one of his favorite films. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a yeah. it's a it's a cool movie. I mean, if, if like just in in just to watch for the style that it's made in, I think it's worth. Yeah, super unique. Uh, my companion piece pick, I actually mentioned it already. It's going to go ahead and be It Follows. Um, one of the best, ugh, one of my favorite horror movies ever. Uh, super weird, out there, very unique, uh, sort of ghost supernatural horror movie. Um, I don't really want to say too much to avoid spoilers. I know that basically all the listeners here have probably at least heard of it. It was pretty popular when it came out. Um, and it's the same composer. It's that music, um, you know, that kind of distinct style by disaster piece, um, where for this movie, it, it kind of takes place in a modern setting. Um, obviously not like a super futuristic thing. It's kind of like a suburban, um, hometown, you know, scary story, uh, scary ghost story. Um, but it's got that weird out of place music, which really blends well to, to make you feel unsettled in the movie. Um, so yeah. that's all I'll say. Check it out. Great film. If you like the music by disaster piece. Hell yeah. Uh, favorite moment, Lucas laid on me. Okay. So I'm um, the favorite move moment I have is actually optional. Um, it's an optional moment in the game. Uh, the, I was going to pick the last boss fight, but, uh, I'm going to put that in my nitpick category, actually. Um, the part of the game that I actually really liked, one of, the, one of the coolest moments was when you start the game off, you start a campfire on a cliffside and you walk through the tutorial area and then your the drifter coughs up blood and then you reset back to the town and that's where the game actually starts. You could actually find that area again. 
So in really? the northern, yeah, in the northern part of the map, you can go exploring, and it's kind of like you have to kind of go to the side. You have to go down like a hidden tree branch, like a tree path. Then you have to go to the left. I actually found it. I'm not a guide. I just kind of found it, stumbled upon it, and you go to the that area. Like you see the first campfire that the game starts in, and I'm like, uh, is that? <laughs> it- Nah, and then that's I kept sick. Because I was actually wondering, like, oh, I wonder if you like where that was, or if you can find that again. It's it's in the northern part of the map, and uh, you go back there, and you continue along the path that you got cut off from. And what's crazy is as you're going through the tutorial area a second time, all of the game prompts show up again to tell you how to play the game. Really? And I was like, whoa, like, is this necessary, or did they forget about this? <laughs> like the triggers. So you keep going, and you find an ancient temple. And the ancient temple is where all of the stone tablets that you activate are. Oh. And when you fill in all of the stone tablets, you could actually find a key online to like tell you the, the backstory for the world. Basically, those stone tablets are telling you in their own language everything that happened within this world. I didn't get every stone tablet, but it was cool to know like where like the ancient knowledge was in game. That's sick. I like that. Yeah. And the game, you know, I think that uh, a lot of the game is you can find the story of it online. Um, this game was kickstarted uh, to like with really really great success and was self published by Heart mm-hmm. Machine. Um, and I think a lot of the early kickstarters got a lot more of that story. I think it was either explained to them or they received some like a lot of supplementary material to kind of explain a lot of the backstory. I do know that that was uh, something they mentioned in, in a YouTube video I saw. Oh yeah, uh, mine was much more simple. Um, beating my fa- my first boss, I was just so satisfied, oh, nice. especially with how much I, bug, uh, how much I uh, I struggled at first with the game. Um, very satisfying, and that's when I like everything clicked for me, and I really started to understand how to play the game, and understand the gameplay loop, and here's how you approach it, and it's just super, super satisfying. That's where I really started having fun with the game. Who was your first boss? I did the Easter zone first, Eastern zone. So I had oh, a, so the frog, the giant frog man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Um, all right. So uh, last one. Would you play other games from this developer, Matt? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you and I just saw. I think this was just announced at E three, right? They're coming out with Solar Ash, um, which looks yeah. like a combination of Hyper Light Drifter and um, another podcast favorite. A journey, um, yeah. the art style at least looks ex- very much akin to Journey. Pretty much, not one for one, but extreme looks extremely inspired by Journey. To be honest, yeah. Um, which we like Journey a lot. It's a beautiful game, and this game looks sick. And I'm excited for it to come out when it does. Comes out this year, I think. Yeah, it it was previously called uh, Solar Ash Kingdom. It was actually originally announced in 2019, oh. but barely. It was like a one minute trailer. Um, it, it didn't really show much and it didn't even look as polished as it looks now. It's coming out on PS4 and PS5, supposedly this year, uh, of course, renamed to Solar Ash. And it's actually going to be published um, by uh, Annapurna, Annapurna Interactive. Annapurna Interactive does some really, really great publishing. They did Outer Worlds. Yeah. Or Outer, Outer Wilds, Wilds yeah. sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, great publisher, always uh, picking some really great games and kind of getting them out there. So the game's set to release pretty soon here. Um, it, it's probably going to be one of the games I play when I get a PS5, whenever that happens. It's coming out for PS4 too. Whenever I get a PS4. <laughs> Either or. Yeah, dude, I was looking at <laughs> PS5 prices the other day and like, like, like a thousand bucks for like a, any oh, such crap. Is it really? I'm, I'm hoping the... Um, <laughs> the uh fix that soon because there's some ps5 exclusives i would like to play like i know like return to look so i know everyone keeps talking about that one yeah and hey shout out to bubble in the chat saying it looks cool it does look Um, sick right yeah yeah. it does it looks looks just like journey right bubble yeah it uh (laughs) art style anyways but yeah it looks sick as hell um yeah all right. Uh, really quickly, nitpicks. There are a couple I, I do think that are worth mentioning. I'll go. I'll start first, really quick. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not criticizing the fact that the game was told through, um, you know, pictures, imagery, and music. I think that's fine. Uh, my only complaint was that because it is a pixel game, 
It makes it a little hard to decipher exactly what's going on in certain points. And that's not even so much of a complaint. It's just like the creative choice that didn't work for me personally, but I'm not going to like really fault it for it. Um, and I think that's also, I, I do think that's an intentional thing that the game is supposed to be very like kind of abstract and hard to decipher. So I'm not too upset about that. Um, what I am a little upset about was the final boss for me was extremely anticlimactic. Um, it was the, that's my nitpick. The easiest boss actually. in the game by far, at least in my. Uh, would you agree? Uh, th- actually, the frog boss was the frog boss for was me. easy as hell. This was right up there with the frog boss for me. Honestly, I think it only took me two tries to beat it, which, based off how I played the rest of this game, was pretty pretty good. Um, yeah, and like just very not like, I mean, it was cool, I guess, but I don't know. I was just I I was expecting a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe I've been, I've been too preconditioned by my years of replaying kingdom hearts every year when i growing up where i'm expecting an eight stage final boss battle but um <laughs> oh yeah God. i don't know i was just i was just expecting it, a little bit more i, I agree yeah yeah i, I agree uh, and it's it's kind of lame how it's the same thing that's kind of been chasing you the whole time like uh i i get like every time the drifter kind of coughs up blood like a vision of like death visits him it's like a grim reaper type of thing it's and stabs him through the heart and that's the thing that you yeah. fight and i like it's cool because it's like i mean it's cool and it's not cool because it like leads up to that guy and it kind of previews him a lot so it doesn't it, it kind of ruins the surprise of the final boss which is why i thought there might be a second form to him yeah or like a final final boss and there's not so it's kind of just like oh Okay, time to just run away and then, you know, there could be another version of the boss if you do all the stone tablets or, you know, do all the keys. I, we actually, I, should, I probably should have looked into that. Right I don't think there is from what on. I can tell. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I saw anything like that either. Because yeah. I know that, you know, there's certain games similar to Hyperlight, like in Hollow Knight, for instance, the final boss, one the the easy final boss, like one of the, the easier ones is really disappointing and then you have to kind of explore more and find more of the hidden rooms and then you could eventually fight like their true final boss um so sometimes games do that yeah but yeah that's uh my only real proper nitpick i guess but um lucas does does this earn your uh sugoi of a or seal of approval it does it does yeah. earn my seal of approval does it earn the matt sugoi of approval hi uh yeah (laughs) this game was this game was sick super unique um and definitely will be one that i look back on i think it'll be one of those ones i look back on and think about a lot like up there with the ranks of like killer seven or outer wilds for me on this podcast yeah dope dope all right so giving our rating out of 10 and combining them matt on on uh go okay no on, on after one okay so at the same time as go yeah three two one Nine. Eight. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that was going to be a little bit higher than that for you, but I think it I took a little too long for me to get into it. <laughs> okay. That's fine. If I, if uh, I, if I felt the whole way I did that whole experience, it probably would have been a nine, mm-hmm. but, um, for whatever reason, it just took a little bit longer for me, but I mean, eight's still really good. The only problem is, and I'll say it every time I give a game an eight, I also gave cyberpunk an eight. That's problematic right now. <laughs> that is um, problematic. I think so I'm officially <laughs> today retroactively deducting cyberpunk to a seven wow um that okay. is um an, an uh, exclusive bubble tweet that out you let, let the press know let, let them know matt good idea matt has retroactively amended his cyberpunk 2070 score to love seven it. love it love it all right uh well i think that's all we got for the fans today matt where can they find us online Everyone, as always, you can find us online at TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. That is our Twitter handle as well as our Instagram handle. Um, you can shoot us an email as well if maybe you have a suggestion for the pod, um, whether that's a game suggestion you'd like to see or a uh, anything's possible suggestion. Shoot us an email. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. Um, and you can find me, your good old buddy Matt. Uh, Twitter, good idea. Shit, what is my Twitter? Good idea, Matthew. Matthew. Um, and that's really the only place you need to find me. Lucas, All right. where can we find you? Uh, my, uh, you can find me on Instagram, and you can find me on Twitch and Discord. My uh, Twitch and my Instagram are good idea, Lucas. Uh, the Discord, we should probably plug that one. Yeah, right yeah, now. that's a good point. Um, everyone, I, I did, I did mention as well. Um, 
Twitter, Instagram, TFE Podcast with an S at the end. If you go onto those pages <laughs> and after you leave a follow, if you click the link tree, that's link with capital L, link tree, you'll find in there an option that says Discord. Should you click that option, or rather, when you click that option, you will get routed to our our official. Thanks for playing Discord, where we chat about whatever's going on in the gaming space, in the gaming world. Um, most recently, our good friend and friend of the pod, Johnny Panic, my cousin, brought up a great point about how Doki Doki Literature Club is coming out on the Switch, and I think other consoles as well. I don't know what that's going to look like on consoles, because a lot of that game, almost even that gameplay is very much tied to... Yeah, it being a PC game with PC style files that you can manipulate. So I'm very interested to see how that plays out and yeah. what that'll look like, um, especially on the Switch. It just doesn't feel right coming on the Switch. To be I honest, know that's going to be a, so weird. Uh, yeah, such a yeah, such a weird game. And um, yeah, so check out the Discord. I highly recommend you all coming out. Be a good time. And Bubble, so stoked you're going to be playing Hyperlight now. I'm ex- I'm glad that we uh, convinced you. And honestly, I know you're just listening to this whole pod and. For anyone else that's listened to this whole podcast and hasn't played the game yet, honestly, it's so abstract. We really didn't even spoil anything. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You'll you'll play the game and it all feel like brand new because I mean, even as much as as much as we tried, I really don't think we could do justice to the story and the experience of this game because it is such a unique little thing. Yeah, um, and unique little gem in the vast sea of games that we have available to us. So I highly recommend you check it out. Lucas, got anything else for the people? I got nothing else. All right, everyone. This has been, thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Skip it up. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Sammy Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch Red Circle 